This is Silver Linings, a podcast where we celebrate stories of social impact, shared by students, alumni, faculty members, and special guests of the Singapore University of Social Sciences. Previously on Silver Linings. The importance of giving care with love. You know, as professionals, sometimes we think about the care that we are showering on our clients. But actually, they want to see the love in our actions. This is something I learned from the program. Yes. <laughs> the emotional needs are very yeah. important. And when they say, you know, I'm useless, actually what they're saying is emotionally, they are broken. We are very fortunate, Ellen and I, you know, we were we got the opportunity to go into a university and learn all these things, you know, dementia care, person-centered care. But many of our staff, they may not have that kind of opportunities, right? So one of the things that's very important for me as a manager in the center is to impart this kind of practices and ideas to the staff at the center. Because in Singapore, it's very hard to find people. Yeah, particularly local people uh, who understand all these issues and the practices, why we do things this way. So when I have staff in the center, I like to share with them you know, why we do things this way. Yes, why and you are doing with the gerontology perspective, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Treating the older client as a whole person. Because it, it's not an easy job. It's very tiring. And you know it, they don't get paid so well lots of times. So how to motivate the staff? Yeah. And to keep the staff in the center. Actually, it's all to work together, you know, with yes, them to yes. ensure that actually we are doing a very meaningful job. And at the end of the day, as what Prof say, you know, it's very meaningful and satisfying at the end of the day. Tell yeah. me, in this COVID situation, are there any challenges that you face? Oh, there is a lot of challenges. In the beginning, I remember when Circuit Breaker was announced, advisories, circular directives came and for the bigger good, we were told to restrict ourselves to only those who have no family support, inadequate family support, very little family support. And I've narrowed down my client list to less than 10. And less than 10, but there are so many clients out there who need our help. So we couldn't get around doing that. But nevertheless, we still went in, but instead of having one staff going in, we have two staff going in. Were you allowed, like two staff? Yes, we were still allowed oh. to go in. That was exception for home care. Ah, essential services. These are essential services. So we were not closed. Mm. So we continue to provide the services. So but we you have to wear all the protective... Personal protective equipment, PPEs, with masks, with goggles on as well. Ah, that is another challenge. Because of that, our staff gets very warm under the PPEs. And they have to travel from home to home using public transport, that didn't help. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So those were the challenges. And you? For us as a caregiver, all of my staff, we need to engage the family members during the circuit breaker. Every day we need to call them. So to see the familiar faces during the circuit breaker. Do you do video calls? We do video calls. We, 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 go, we do Zoom, some of them. My staff were so creative, you know, they thought about the WhatsApp 
group calls. So to bring different elderly to see each other <laughs> during the circuit breaker. Oh, you're my friend. You know what happened to you? What do you do? What do you eat? I see. Yeah, so we become so creative, you know. We send out homework, you know, for the elderly. <laughs> they do their math, their English. Oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, they do coloring. We send all these... Uh, the homework packages. To we, we could do the <laughs> exercise <laughs> together, yes. together, yeah. but not the personal hygiene part. The personal hygiene is very just difficult. not possible. I agree, I agree. You have to bring somebody to the toilet, you have to bring him to the toilet. Mm. So you have to shower him, you have to shower him. You and just in can't COVID, we were told, right, that seniors are vulnerable. Yes. And family members must make sure that they don't go out. Yeah. And if they do go out, they must come back quickly, wear the mask, safe distancing. Now even coming back after the circuit breaker, right? So most of the elderly, they all come back to the centres. Every day they need to wear masks. So sometimes I feel very grateful. First week they will say, yeah, very difficult. You know, they pull down, keep on pulling down their mask. But when elderly, when they are in a group, when they see each other, my friend wear masks. And they try to be more patient and more tolerant. So that's why coming to a center is so important. As just now, uh, in the beginning, when Ellen say and, and Kalyani, you also mentioned, a uh, lot of them, they don't want to be institutionalized, right? And that's what I heard when the family members, when they brought them to the center in the beginning. My mama, I don't think she can stay in the center, but there's no way to go. You know, where do I go? I need to work. So when they come to the center, I say, give me a week. Let's see, let's try. Let your mom stay here. We try our best. I would say 90% of the time, most of the elderly, they can stay at the center. Yeah. And ever since, you know, they mingle, they make friends, they do activities, and they can. That's right. Yeah, so you are able to make them change their mind. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of this uh, societal level uh, kind of approach that we are taking currently, are there areas of policies where you think we could make a difference, we could improve? Uh, we went to different countries to understand how the gerontologies practice, how society practice in the various countries, whether it is in the Western culture or the Oriental's way of doing things. Singapore has a little to learn from them. For example, in the area of volunteerism, what we can use is to get a lot of our able-bodied volunteers to come in to help in this sector. Because if we can engage them while they are young, and when I say young, I don't mean the teenagers or the 20s, the 30s and the 40s. When we start to engage them at this age, they know that one day they will be seniors eventually. So when they start to volunteer to help to work in this elderly sector, they will be able to understand in 20 years, 30 years time, when they age themselves, they will know what is expected of them to care for themselves because they are now being trained as volunteers. So let us maybe look into the possibility of young old becoming volunteers in Singapore so that we can tap their experience as well as their desire to contribute something back to society. Do you have any ideas on that? Volunteer is one very good way of uh, educating to society. Besides them being educated themselves, volunteer would also in itself help the sector because currently 
as you know, uh, manpower is very tight in Singapore, particularly in this sector. There are not many people who want to work in this sector as uh, caregiving associates or caregivers. So if you are able to tap on the volunteers of the young old, that would certainly help to relieve this shortage, shortage. of manpower. I think another way is how how can we encourage those young old to come out? Uh, maybe just retire, you know, to come out and volunteer and you know, contribute some of their time in this sector. I remember the days when I was in the gerontology program. My prof mentioned something which really I'm still thinking about it <laughs> ten years after. Maybe we can sort of show some kind of appreciation by providing some allowance, mm. like transport allowance, you know, as, as a token of appreciation, so that they will continue. So every time they come out, so at least I got the MRT money or something, you know, or, or even lunch, for I, example. I agree with you. So then after they visit, they'll do house visit or they spend times in the centre and then the volunteer can go out and share, you know, maybe a simple lunch, you know, together and share the experiences. It's also one form of support as yes, well, right? definitely, yeah. definitely. I think volunteers also want to have a sense of being appreciated. Yes. And these small tokens show that they are valued, their time, their energy, their intention to help others is valued. So when we talk about encouraging volunteerism among people in their 50s and 60s, it has many, many rewards for society, for the people they visit, and it also helps them to feel that they are valued by society. And in a way, when they go around and help the agencies or help the centres, what they are doing is they are mainstreaming the whole idea about ageing mm -hmm. as an opportunity. And they are actually demonstrating that they are still able to contribute back to society. And this is a good message even to pass to students in primary school or secondary school. Yeah. If we can build it into the curriculum, we can have seniors coming in to speak to the class yeah. or demonstrate how they played certain games in the past or they were able to uphold certain traditions, rituals. So this kind of creates a heritage, a legacy. And for the young students, it becomes an opportunity to talk to somebody who is elderly, who previously they might have been afraid to talk to. Now they're given an opportunity to understand what is aging process, why grandpa does this at home. They can then reflect back on their own family and how this whole idea of aging is not frightening anymore. Many a time, youngsters are frightened of the aging process. So this would debunk the myth that you have to be afraid of aging. Wow, I learned something <laughs> today as well. <laughs> I know I'm thinking about how I can bring my uh, maybe more able uh, the elderly in my centre to go to childcare and share with them. You know their experiences, the things they used to play. Yeah, thank you, thank uh, you. Learning, <laughs> learning never stops. Yeah, Wing. yeah, yeah. yeah. So one aspect of societal contribution is the social service agencies, or with the help of NVPC, we could get as many volunteers as possible. But when these volunteers come in, we must be able to structure some programs for them. Volunteers cannot come in and do what they want. 
It's just like when I was in the police force, in the volunteer police, we were given structured training. Yes, yes. After the structured training, then we were deployed like a regular right. police. So the training of the volunteer exactly. before they are deployed. sent. Yeah, yeah, yes. And then perhaps even a couple of short workshops. How do you communicate with an elderly person? How do you communicate with a caregiver who is stressed out? How do we help caregivers to care for themselves? Self-care. Otherwise, we have seen so many examples in the newspapers about caregivers breaking down. Burnout. Burnout. Even to the point where they may think about committing suicide when they are really, really unable to solve many of the issues that they face on a daily basis. The other more damaging part is when there is elder abuse. When the caregiver cannot take it anymore and they are really worn out, they may physically or verbally abuse Psychologically the or financially. Yes. yes, yes. So these are the consequences when caregiver burnout takes place. So part of our role in society is to be able to identify before they reach that point of burnout, how can neighbours come in? How can family members help to identify that, oh, my sister is really coming to the point where she can't care for mum anymore. All the others have to chip in or pool their finances to get a helper to help her or to apply for home care services because something has to be done before the burnout stage takes. It's very difficult when it comes to family dynamics. I've got elderly who have maybe eight or nine children. So in the end, the whole care burden falls on like one or two of their children. And the others were not helping. So that's why they are under so much stress. So sometimes when I see this kind of situation, I, I don't know what to do. How am I going to help them? When you have so many children... Sometimes other institutions or government probably will think you have so many children, they should be able to provide. But in reality, not all of them will receive care that they're supposed to have. Quantity so does not mean... <laughs> yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah. And then That's how right. to advocate for these people, right? the caregivers, yeah. so they know where to look and find resources when they need. That's right. So, so some of our policies, like the many helping hand policy, mm. it leads to fragmentation rather than integration of services because different agencies have their own turfs, they have their own internal do's and don'ts, geographical boundaries, etc. So although the philosophy of many helping hands is a good one, in the sense that we have public, private, people sector all contributing to the challenges. But this is maybe you can say the unintended consequence that there is lacking of integration. And the other part of, I think, the challenge is that a lot of people do not have the correct knowledge that they need to be a caregiver. And they may not think about going for caregiver training workshops because they think that it's still a long time away. My parents are still mobile, active. And then suddenly, one day, 
there's a crisis. They're thrust into it. And they become a caregiver overnight. Yes, I uh, just want to share one example, you know, in my center. I have this uh, elderly. He, when he came, he, he only had mild dementia. And I've been trying to ask the family members, the spouse, to come to our caregiver training program. Before the COVID-19, we provide twice a year uh, the caregiver training for the family members of our clients. For example, we have understanding dementias, self-care as well, mindfulness, and also how to conduct activities at home for those with dementia. Some of the family members, they are very proactive and they will come, but there are family members, no matter how many times you invite them, they don't show up because of whatever things, you know, maybe I'm very, very busy. As what uh, Kalyani mentioned, they think you know, he's not at this stage yet. But two years down the road, you can see the dementia progressed. Now they are under a lot of troubles. So in the end, the decision, it may be, I will probably send this client to a nursing home. So I thought, if they can come and learn a bit more about dementia and as a whole family, maybe all the children and the spouse coming together, maybe they can intervene early at home and how to respond to the dementia client at home. And that really will help a lot. So the education part is also very important. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. the psychoeducation. Psychoeducation, yes. And Agency for Integrated Care has uh, this caregiver training grant which they offer to Singaporean that if they are taking care of someone 65 years and above, they only have to pay a nominal sum and the rest is subsidized by AIC. Mm. And yet many agencies, they find it very hard to get caregivers to come for the training because of the attitude that it's not important now. I have other more urgent things to take care of. This is something in the distant future, but they don't realize the distant future could be tomorrow. Yes. And to learn all the techniques, uh, it's so important. So the caregiver will not get so frustrated so easily. That's right. And then spousal caregivers, they themselves are aging, right? Yes. So they themselves have issues like maybe knee pain or arthritis or they themselves may have high blood pressure or diabetes. So when you have two, like an elderly couple living on their own and their children are not in Singapore, they may be overseas, or they may be childless couple. So the burden on the spousal caregiver is even greater. I've been thinking along this line for a long time, Mm. not just the caregiver or caregiver training. It is also how can we attract a bigger pool of volunteers to come in to learn how to do caregiving. You put in your volunteer hours as a people's bank and 20 years later, I can claim it back. So this remains to be seen whether it is a workable solution. But my idea is everybody start contributing to this bank and clock in your hours, deposit your time one day when you need it most because Singapore... Let's face it, our crude birth rate is 1.1. We will not replace ourselves. So even if we have children, the children may not be able to look after us. We will be dependent on volunteers or nursing home or community care. Why not we have this deposit and... Uh, let it's let called it time banking. Time banking. 
Yeah, one it's day. A, uh, it's a program that some countries have adopted. Yes. And uh, it works well because it is a bartering of time and service. A so when you need it, when you are elderly, you don't have to pay for the service yes. because you already paid forward. You did Pay service forward. to somebody else. And so now you feel that it's fine for you to draw on the community to, draw on, yes. to help you out. So the dignity is not lost yeah. and there's no stigma. So on that line, we're talking about manpowers as a volunteers. One of the manpower souls you know, we can tap into. I wonder in SUSS, other than our master gerontology, because that you need to invest time and money as well. So in Singapore, I, I'm sure Ellen will agree with me, it's very hard to find people to join us, right? Yes. Home, be it in home care or yes. centre-based care, particularly local students yeah. or local people who can speak Hokkien or Cantonese or even Malay yeah. or, or Tamil. So I wonder from the SUSS, have you like thought about coming up with some kind of programs to train the people, you know, like a care staff. It may, may not be like master programs. Yes, yes. Yeah. We have discussed this a lot. Ah. And we're wondering whether the gerontology program at Tamasic Poly, which is like a specialist diploma, mm. is doing that because they are looking at frontline workers. So they don't need a degree. All they need is some experience and then the employer sends them for this specialist diploma course. Mm. So I think this suits a polytechnic level institution better. You've been listening to Silver Linings. You may find the next part of this episode on suss.edu.sg slash podcast or on your preferred podcast listening platform.